You are listening to The Real Faith Stories Podcast, interviews with people who chose to boldly follow their faith. I'm your host, Brian Robinson. Now, let's meet our guest and hear their story. As a full-ride scholarship recipient and Division I college athlete, Elizabeth was used to being self-reliant. If things didn't happen fast enough, she would make them happen. That was until she and Dan had their first special needs child, then felt God guiding them to adopt two more medically fragile children. She reached a point one day, through tears, where she told Dan, I can't do this by myself anymore. Two days later, Dan gave notice that he was quitting his job to help Elizabeth at home with the kids. What's happened since has been a faith journey that's profoundly changed their lives. Dan and Elizabeth Thorndike, welcome to Real Faith Stories. So good to have you here. Thank you, Brian. Let's start by picking up your backstories, where you grew up, how you came to faith, and how you met. Then we'll talk about your children and a major shift that occurred in your lives that has required some serious steps of faith. So, Elizabeth, if you could go first, that'd be great. Yeah, thanks. Well, I am a Midwest girl at heart. I grew up in Ohio in the same house for 18 years, which is crazy because I think about how many houses my kids have lived in. I have two older brothers. I'm the baby. My father unfortunately passed away when I was in first grade and so quickly became a single parent family. And that was different in the neighborhood we were in, which was dual parent families. So that was hard for a while. However, my mom quickly started working and raised the three of us. And from that place, I got a good family foundation. However, there was a lot of hard on the other side in that I had to still deal with the feelings around my father's death, which was not really talked about because we were so young. People in good faith tried to protect us, but really what we needed to do was talk about it. So that kind of changed how I grew up a little bit. I became very driven. In fact, good grades and good at um, sports. And what I really excelled in was volleyball. It became my love around sixth grade. And I played it nonstop, basically. And when I became a senior, I was on a club team and got recruiting exposure and then got offered a full right scholarship to Auburn University in Alabama to play volleyball, which was a dream come true for me. And so I left Ohio after 18 years in the same house and went to the South, which was a really crazy transition, but one of the best things that's ever happened to me. Yeah, that's a huge transition. Yes. So tell me, when did you come to faith in Jesus? We grew up in a Methodist church. It was a little tiny Methodist church. I did everything from the confirmation to the acolyte to the children's choir, worked in the nursery and all those things. However, I did not have much of an intimacy with Jesus. I remember they shared a lot about the stories of the Bible and God, but I never felt this intimacy with Christ. And that did not come for me until I left college. Was that a, a moment that you recall? Was it kind of a gradual thing? Well, on the weekends, we traveled with the volleyball team. So I stopped going to the church, unfortunately, when I was in school, because we were always gone on Sundays. We were in hotel rooms. And when I graduated, 
I felt the pull back to something more and always still had a love for God. However, I knew that there was more and I ended up going to a retreat with some friends. It was a small, tiny church in Oregon. And the women there had just this anointed peace. It's one of those moments where you look at them and you say, God, I want what they have. And I knew that I needed to reaffirm my faith. I need to re-give my life to Jesus. And that started this incredible relationship with Christ. Dan, how about you? Share a bit of your backstory, please, and how you came to faith. All right. Well, I was born in Maine. And then when I was two, we moved to Seattle. And my parents, they had been missionaries in Morocco until they got kicked out for sharing the faith in Morocco. So they came back to the United States and found a missionary affiliation that ministered to Muslims. And so they came back and spent time going through the training that they needed to do to do that and then raise support. And then when I was five, we moved to Spain as missionaries to Morocco. So we got to live, grow up kindergarten through sixth grade in Spain and take a couple trips over to Morocco. And that was so much fun. We did come back to the United States in third grade to raise support again, but then again, back back to Spain until sixth grade. Then we moved back to the United States. I'm one of four children and I'm number three in the lineup. When we came back to the United States, my dad and mom did kind of some odd jobs for a while, trying to figure out where God was leading them. And eventually my dad took a job as a pastor in Pendleton, Oregon. So I spent my senior year in college there. And then I moved up to Washington in 2000, just because that's where my whole family was from. We were from Washington. Both sets of my grandparents were there. And then met Elizabeth, 4th of July of 2006. You met on the 4th of July and there have been fireworks ever since. That's right. That's right. <laughs> it's true. And I guess I need to back up as far as my story of coming to faith. Obviously, I grew up in a strong Christian home and it wasn't until about 15. So I was in junior high. I think that was about eighth grade. We went to a church camp. They challenged us. Do you believe what you believe because your parents told you to? Or do you believe what you believe because you have a personal relationship with Christ? And it was at that age in my life, at 15 years old, that I rededicated my life to the Lord and, and was baptized. It became more of a personal relationship, seeking God and just seeking Him for you know direction in life. How long was it after you and Elizabeth met that you got married? About <laughs> nine months. <laughs> so we met the 4th of July weekend and then... We came back and I loved to swing dance. So I would swing dance two or three nights a week. And I kept trying to get her to go, but she ran a nonprofit and late nights did not work for her. And, and swing dancing didn't start till about nine o'clock at night. Finally, we decided she's like, the late nights don't work for me, but I'd love to go on a hike. And I'm like, oh, well, I love hiking. Let's go. You plan it. And so she planned a hike and our first outing together, the hiking day ended up being a 14 hour day. We went on a long hike, jumped in a ice cold lake at the top of the hike, <laughs> and then uh, came down. We went uh, on a drive. We both just like driving and just admiring the scenery and not really with any particular place in mind and had lunch. And then we ended up going to church and then wound back up at, uh, at the car. 
And then I said, I want to plan the next date. So the next date, I'm a private pilot. So I flew her and her dog. I lived in in Everett, Washington at the time. So I flew her. There's a pain field airport there. And I flew her from there over to Squim, where her mom lives. So took her and the dog in the plane with some <laughs> picnic stuff and <laughs> went. Her mom picked us up at the airport. That was our second outing. And kind of everything's been downhill for her since then. Yeah. How do you top flying somewhere? Literally after that date, I realized that I put my life in this guy's hands. Yeah. Getting in a plane with him. And he's not dumb. I mean, he was like, I'm going to fly her to her mom's. <laughs> and so met my mom. He was strategic. <laughs> and you're very wise. I should have waited until the fourth date to pull that one out. But hey, it worked out for me. So I'm a blessed man. I knew that I wanted to marry her. We had met in 4th of July and December 9th of the same year, I proposed and she questioned me. She's like, really? And I'm like, yeah, really. <laughs> so it was it was a fun proposal, I thought. Then we got married the following April. So we moved really quick. Both of us really felt God saying, this is one I have for you. And when you have that, you just know, I guess. Yeah. So how many years have you been married now? Almost 17. Let's fast forward now. You guys settled down after you got married in Washington. Yes. yes. You had, if I'm not mistaken, Dan, a auto repair business. Is that correct? Yep. Tell me about how that got started and then how you started adding the children to the equation. And then you felt this really strong nudge to move out of Washington. So when Elizabeth and I first got married, I had been an automotive technician and Elizabeth was an entrepreneur. She had started a nonprofit in Seattle, helping children in underserved communities in the health and wellness department there. And the opportunity arose in Bellingham. Some friends of ours offered us a place to stay and offered me a job driving bread truck. Well, we started an automotive business. We borrowed a little bit of money from my aunt, which ended up covering the cost of a lift and the few things that we had to do to start the shop. My job was driving bread truck. And when I was done, I would take uh, homemade business cards and go you know, walk parking lots at the mall, at anywhere I could find cars and just start putting business cards on and flyers on people's vehicles. So you're the guy. Okay. Yeah, that's right. <laughs> so though, when we sold that shop 11 years later, though, he had a 3,500 base clientele and was always booked out two weeks. Amazing. Seeing God grow that was incredible. Tell me when the first child came into the picture. Savannah came in 2008. So she came before we actually moved up to Bellingham. Okay. She was a little over one. And then when we opened the shop, when we finally did the grand opening, I was pregnant with our second daughter and we opened the shop and then I had her and she was unexpectedly born with Down syndrome. So it was a birth diagnosis. That was new. That's kind of when we started our special needs path. And, and that was 2011. So then we had Shay, our first boy. Biological. And then we went on to adopt two more kiddos from China, both with special needs. Our daughter, almost eight years ago, we adopted her. She was older, almost nine, and she has Down syndrome and she needed immediate heart surgery. And then almost six years ago, we adopted Samuel and he was three and a half at the time and he has cerebral palsy and trauma. He has uh, experienced a lot of trauma. So five kids. Tell me what was going on in your hearts that had you lean into adopting the last two children with special needs. 
Yeah, that's a great question. I think that with Dan and I, when we spoke of marriage, we did speak of adoption because it was foundationally important to both of us. We didn't say we had to. We just wanted to be with a a person that was open to it because it had been on both of our hearts growing up. And so adoption wasn't new, but adopting special needs kids was a new thought. But once Shelby came into the picture, we just knew that that's where our heart was leaning towards. And so when we moved forward on adoption, we sought kids with special needs, which really is almost all kids specifically in China, have some kind of need, which is why they're in the orphanage. And really, it was God who brought the children into our lives. It wasn't, correct. we did not say, hey, honey, I feel like adopting, and then went and picked through, looked through children. Profiles and stuff. It was profiles, yeah. We, how that worked was we attended a church in Bellingham where there was a, a young lady who attended as well that worked for Children's House International, which is an adoption agency. They specialize in all special needs adoptions from Europe and Asia. And so she knew that we had special needs children and she was trying to find forever homes for these children. And so she just asked us to be in prayer for these children that God would find them forever homes. And as the email files would come across, Elizabeth would be praying for them. And one day, Shiloh, which is our daughter, her picture came across and she just really felt God saying, this is your daughter. When I saw her picture, God immediately said, that's your daughter. And my heart just leapt out of my chest. And I thought, oh my gosh, I think it is. And so when Dan came home that night from work, once we got the kids into bed, I said, I have to show you something. And I sat down on his lap at the computer and I showed him Shiloh's video. And I said, God told me that's our daughter. And he literally hesitated for maybe two seconds, looked at me and he said, I think you're right. And that was it. We hit the ground running. So God's faithfulness of aligning us at the same time for a special needs adoption, that's all God. Was it a similar experience for your son, Samuel? The gal that ran the adoption agency, she said to me, there's a little boy that's on my heart for you guys. This is the second time he's run through our agency and we have his file right now. I think that you guys should take a look at this. And we didn't really even look at it that long. We just felt if you're hearing that, we feel like, it's a go. And so that was actually Samuel. You've got your five. What was going on that you started to think about moving? When we started this shop, initially, our goal and my dream was to have the shop at a place where I could step away and help raise the children. We totally thought that would be possible. And every time that we started feeling that we were getting traction, you know, I had hired employees. We moved two different times to the shop as we grew. So we moved from a one bay to a three bay and then to a seven bay. And every time like, I would get the staff together and start heading in the right direction. And one of the people that I would hire just wasn't getting us where we needed to be. And I'd have to let that person go and step back in because we were going backwards financially instead of forwards. And so that is just a recurring theme. And then one of my technicians, really good one, decided he was going to start his own shop, which obviously I had to bless that. Like he was a great guy and good technician. And so he left to start his own shop. So then I had to step in and fill his spot as a technician. So it was one of those things where we could just never get the the shop going in the way that we needed for me to fully be able to be hands off. And so it was just a lot because I would drop the kids off at school, go into work and 
work all day till not be home till like five thirty, sometimes six. And she would be doing everything with all five kids by herself. And then I would be home for dinner, put them to bed. And, and then a lot of nights I'd have to go back to the shop to stay on top of the workload. And I would work till midnight or 1am quite regularly. Which we felt we could do for a while. And I think that the nice thing about that is the kids did not know that he was gone. He was not an absent father at all. He was actually a very hands-on father. However, our marriage was suffering because we never spent time together. And I think saying so many times, we'll be fine. We're fine. We're strong. We're fine. But then all of a sudden, I think we woke up one day and we weren't fine because we hadn't been purposeful about spending time together at night because he was going back to work almost every night. And I think that that started to suck the life out of our marriage and also out of Dan. And we came to a point where we were in agreement that it was time to let the shop go. We had tried to hire different managers and went backwards each time and that we felt God's peace in letting it go and moving on to what he had for us together as a family. In that space of making that decision, how did Arizona come up on your radar? My mom was in Arizona and I had another friend of mine who was a service advisor for me up in Washington that works at a dealership down in Phoenix. And so I had that connection, had an immediate job if I wanted one with somebody that I already knew, that knew my abilities as a technician. And God just worked everything out. We sold the shop, but the guy that we came in for a year and groomed, the bank changed his loan and with COVID going. And so he was only able to put down a down payment. We basically moved under the faith of God that he had something here in Arizona. So all the doors kind of closed in Washington and opened in Arizona. And literally about three weeks later, we were driving to Arizona. So it was a very quick turnaround. However, we were driving without that nest egg and it was a $10,000 move. We really felt that we were starting fresh here in Arizona and had no clue why or what God was going to do. So you've been in Arizona how long now? Three and a half years. You're in Arizona now. Dan, you're doing automotive repair through this relationship you had. And Elizabeth is doing the kids and drowning. Yes, because when we moved... It was the the beginning of COVID and everything was online. So five kids doing schooling online and me being gone, I would have to get up at uh, 5.30. I needed to leave by six o'clock in the morning. So before anybody was even up, I was gone. And then I would get home at 4.30 or 5 in the afternoon. And so that whole time she was five on one. Man. But I was also resetting up all of our services here in Arizona, which you really don't know how difficult that is and how different state to state works until you actually make the move. So I had to reset all of our DDD. Each of my three medically fragile kids have about five or six practitioners at Children's Hospital. So I had to reset all those practitioners up. I had to find a pediatrician that specialized with special needs kids. I had to find things for my neurotypical kids as well. And all that was paperwork and phone calls, then virtual learning with three kids that didn't even want to do that. Plus, it triggered all of the stuff from our adopted kids. When we made a big move, it triggered up all of their anger and uncertainty, insecurities, all of it. So it was a crazy, crazy time. I can only imagine. So you're in church one day. You're a year into living in Arizona. 
and you look over at Dan and start weeping. Yeah. Yeah. It was a Saturday. We met at 530 service. He came straight from work on a Saturday and met us. It had been a particularly hard day with one of our kiddos. And he asked me how our day was and worship was about to begin. And I just started sobbing in church. And after I kind of got my composure, I looked up and I just said, I can't do this by myself anymore. And he looked at me straight faced and said, you're right. You can't. He didn't hesitate. That was a Saturday. And on Monday, a couple of days later, he went in and put his two weeks notice in. Wow. Dan, what was that like? Scary because as the man of the house, the provider role lands on you. And so wondering how was always the thing in my mind. But with my faith in, in Christ, I knew that God had a way that we would be okay financially. I had an ability to work on cars and make money that way. And he had other opportunities for us to be able to work from home. So he has been providing. It has definitely been tight ever since. But you know what? To be able to be home and be here and be present is such a blessing. I feel blessed to be able to be doing this life with and alongside Elizabeth. Elizabeth, this was a watershed moment from the standpoint of provision. Yeah. I mean, you were really getting pulled into something that was super challenging from a faith perspective, wasn't it? Yes, for sure. And I had been praying for a while about help, whether it was respite care, we went down that road and there just was a direct care shortage in our state and post-COVID. And not just that, when you do find a respite care or an attendant care person to help, a lot of times it's family. And we didn't really have family that could come in and do the respite care. And so as I was praying about it before leading up to this moment at church, God kept saying, it's your husband. And I was so confused by that because he was the breadwinner and he was providing and I was doing all the stuff at home. And we didn't have a village yet. This is just a year that we kind of head down running. It was very confusing. And so when that moment in church happened, I had such peace when Dan said, you're right, because there was confirmation there with what God had been saying. And so when he went in and gave his notice, he came home after work and I knew he was supposed to do that. But I had said, how does that feel as a provider? And I remember, Dan, you saying that God had been working on you. He had been speaking to you to jump without a safety net and that there was some big jump that was on the horizon for you. And so I think that although it put us in a, a crazy situation, I had peace in that moment that he did the right thing. And I felt whiffed. I felt cherished and loved that he would do that. And that he saw my heart and that he saw my pain and that he wanted to meet me in that place because I had been getting that. However, as time moved on, it definitely hit at that place of provision for me where I realized I had so much to grow in trusting God with our finances in trusting God with provision and in trusting God that he was in the center of it all. And so it was a huge learning time for me in that provision. What's been one of the biggest lessons that you've learned thus far since that? I was very self-reliant and I didn't realize the damage of that because growing up, 
with our family situation, I needed to earn a scholarship to college. My mom didn't have that after my dad died. There wasn't this big college fund for us. And so I worked really, really hard, set some goals and got this scholarship in volleyball. And then when I was in school, I wanted to get a certain degree that took more time. And so I set those goals. So I was very goal oriented and achievement was high because I worked so hard and it was self-reliant and it served me well during those times. But what I realized is that God had a dream for our life for Dan and I, and I kind of detoured from that dream all the time to, to do my own thing to like, this isn't happening on my time fast enough. So I'm going to detour and I'm going to do this and make it happen. And I really realized that that was damaging, that that was actually not trusting God in his timing. And I had to take a step back because it got all confusing and all consuming. And as I took a step back, I realized that I wasn't walking alongside him. I was kind of walking in front of him and telling him how he should do it. (laughs) (laughs) I have since taken a step back and really enjoying walking with him. And that was my dream was to be free under his covering and really like waking up each day and saying, okay, God, what do you have for this day? Who can I love on? Which meeting should I go to? How much time should I give family? How much time should I give work? Help me create that balance. And that's been a huge, huge lesson for me. And there's been peace has met me there, but it has not been easy to get there. And I didn't have the background my husband did. He saw amazing provision growing up as a mission kid on the mission field. And each time they came back for help and to raise more money, he saw miracles work in that way. But I didn't see that as a seeing my mom's grow from being two people to a single parent and having to raise the three of us. I felt her stress. I felt her angst to make everything work and make ends meet. And so I kind of grew up with that self-reliance. So God has really, really changed me over the last couple of years, specifically the last six months in trusting him and walking with him. What's happened the last six months that you can reference where you really felt you've gotten some breakthrough? Well, definitely just peace that the same things I would feel anxiety about, the unknowns that we're walking, because as Dan left his position, God basically unfolded what his dream was for us, like God's dream, not the American dream. And as he unfolded that, of course, I started to hit the ground running, right? And what I realized by the end of last year of 2023, there were all these things we were doing to fulfill this dream that God placed in front of us as Dan stopped working and we started working together. And it was all confused. The month of December, I just felt like we've done so much work in these all these areas and it became this mass confusion. And so as I entered the new year, I really felt God give me the word restoration that he was going to restore all these things that he started long time ago that I needed to fully trust him and I needed to step back and work with him and not against him. And that was huge for me. And this month of January was eye-opening for me in that regard. I still have this unknown. However, there's not angst with it. It's met with beautiful peace, knowing that God has the answers and living in the day, like just to make Instead of today, another day when, it's today when, W-I-N. So I'm just going to make this day good. And the dream he's given Dan and I was to love on special needs parents and caregivers. And so we started a blog doing that. 
And we're in the mix of creating some products to bring to market that will help special needs families travel better and let kids experience things in traveling. And then also creating a safe place for special needs adults to work when they're in that, when our girls are in that age range. So needed. Oh my goodness. What's fascinating to me and I love is God is so involved in the process of changing our hearts. And it's painful sometimes, isn't it, to undo the thought processes we've had and the the lens that we see life through, right? Yeah. Yeah, very much so. So what would you say to somebody, Elizabeth, who is in that season right now where they've made a leap of faith, they know in their hearts God told them to take this step, but they're struggling with the whole provision thing because of perhaps in the past, I worked hard to get it and now it doesn't seem to be working. I will say that one of the most beautiful things that God encouraged me to do over the last month and a half, which was not easy for me, is I love quiet time. However, I felt since we are entrepreneurs, when I was taking that time to really seek God, I was feeling this urge of, I need to be out pounding the pavement. If I'm not doing anything, it's not going to happen. And I realized that the self-reliance looked like, if I'm going to get this dream, I'm going to have to make it happen. That was the recording in my mind. And I changed that recording to, I can't wait to meet these dreams with you, Father God. I call him my Papa. I can't wait to do those things with you. And I took a step back and really dug in and took time when I should have been maybe writing for the blog or I should have been doing some other things. I met with God and slowed down and really heard his voice. And as I did that, I stopped feeling like I needed to be somewhere else or I needed to be doing something to earn my right. I started to feel his heart for me and started to heal in some of those areas where I felt I had to make it happen. And even healing in those areas as a child as I had to make this happen if it was going to happen. And so changing that recording in my own mind and trusting him and taking those extra bits of time with him in quiet time has been all the difference in the world for me. So I would give that advice to someone else as to meet him in the word. And in that word, he has all the answers for you and listen to his voice and then take those steps one step at a time, just forward one step and listen, and then one step and listen. And for me, that was actually take a step back. So that was really difficult for me, but he's been so faithful. And so I would just urge someone to take that space and to to hear his voice through his word and to be faithful in that. Truly, when you sit still, I found don't pray, don't read, sit still. If you do that, that is truly an act of faith. Yes. And God is a rewarder of those who act in faith. It may be really painful emotionally to sit still, right? I'm sure you felt that. Yes. Yeah. Growing pains for sure. Yeah. But God kept showing up. And I can speak to this myself. There are moments in my life where I felt the Holy Spirit say to me, be still. I would discipline myself to sit for 30 minutes and not say a word. And incredibly, what would happen, usually for me, around the last five, 10 minutes, I would start getting imbued with this sense of courage Mm -hmm. and peace. Mm -hmm. And I didn't say a word. It's like the father's looking down and he says, okay, now I'm going to give you what you've been seeking. And you didn't even have to ask for it. Mm-hmm. It's beautiful. And that's what he does with his kids, right? It's so true. And it doesn't have to be so hard because I think 
you and I align with that spirit of self-reliance a little bit where we felt like reaching God's dream for us had to be struggle and hard and pound the pavement. So I don't believe it has to be like that. It, it, it could take work. Don't get me wrong, but it doesn't have to be that struggle that we've always felt with our self-reliance. To that point, someone listening to this may be thinking, well, how do you know when you've moved out of partnership into that space of walking ahead of God again? I can share my experience. I'd love to hear yours. Mine is that I can tell when I've stepped outside the scope of what the Lord has instructed me to do because it feels like pushing rocks uphill and there's stress and anxiety and all these physical feelings that manifest that tell me, dude, you're out of the zone. Mm-hmm. But when I step back and only do what I sense he's telling me to do, there's this peace. And gosh, if things don't happen the way you hope. Yeah. Do you have that similar experience, either of you? Yes, I actually do. It just feels out of alignment. It feels like I'm on the gerbil wheel kind of running. And I also have a lot of indecision in my heart and confusion. And I always remember that confusion is from the enemy. And so when I'm feeling that, at first, I don't realize it. And then I step back and I'm like, everything feels confusing and mashed together. And then I start having a hard time making simple decisions on things. Then I realize that that's not from God. And I have to slow down and realize that he did not give me confusion. Mm -hmm. That's when I realize I'm in that out of alignment place. How can people find out more about you, your blog, etc.? Well, our blog, the address for that is moment, the number two moment masterpiece.com. And that has our story, a little bit of information about both of us, individual family pictures, all that stuff is on our blog site. As we finish here, I'd love to have you guys pray for our listeners. I'll go first then. So Father God, we just thank you again for this time, for this opportunity to share our story, Lord, and ultimately it's your story. Father, and we just thank you for this journey that you have us on. And it's it's a marathon, not a sprint, Lord. And, and we just enjoy partnering with you and look forward to the next step that you have for us, Lord. We just take it one step at a time, one day at a time, because we know who holds tomorrow. And you tell us not to worry about tomorrow, and you have promised to take care of us, Lord. And so we just pray that you just download that peace into those who are hearing this, Lord, that you give them a renewed ability to rest in you as they seek you and your will for their lives, Lord. And we thank you for partnering with us. And your provisions are not always in our time, but they are always on time, Lord. And uh, so we just thank you for that. Yeah. And Heavenly Father, first and foremost, thank you for your deep, deep love. And Lord, as we get to use vehicles like podcasts and blogs and stuff, Lord, I pray that your word is an expansion of your kingdom, Lord. And for those listening, Lord, I pray truth in their hearts, that you would overcome the enemy in their thoughts and that you would be their voice, Lord. I pray and thank you for your word and for those that need it, Lord, would take time, take a step back and dive back in your word and in your truth. And Lord, I pray that like the stories in the Bible, that you have already overcome the world. And so, Father, I pray that people would find rest in your dream for them and not the American dream and not what the world says. 
And Father, in that place with you, you have a plan, a great plan. And you know all that we walk emotionally and physically. And that you know everything. Every tear I've cried, every tear a listener might have cried, Lord, you know it all. And so I just pray your truth prevail, Lord. And anyone that's hurting, that you would just soften that and bring them back to you. Encourage them to find the space with you, a heavenly daddy who cares about it all. And thank you that we can trust you wholeheartedly. We can walk with you and that we don't have to ever, ever do this by ourselves. You are always with us. In Jesus' mighty name we pray. Amen. Amen. Thank you both so much for being on the podcast and sharing your story. Thank you. Thank you for having us, Brian. Hey, everyone. Thanks for listening. Please make sure you subscribe to the show and share this with someone you believe would be encouraged and motivated by these stories. Until next time, I'm Brian Robinson reminding you that the greatest decision you could ever make is to ask Jesus Christ to become the Lord of your life. If you haven't done that, read Romans chapter 10, verses 9 through 11. Thanks again for listening.